You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Therese Boudreau, and joining me today is Isabel Vinson, an investigative journalist and author. We'll be discussing her new book entitled Overture of Hope, Two Sisters' Daring Plan That Saved Opera's Jewish Stars from the Third Reich. Ms. Vincent, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So your book is about two British sisters, Ida and Louise Cook. How did you come across the story of the sisters, and what made you decide to write a book about it? So I came across it quite by accident. Um, a friend of a friend um, had gone to the Yad Vashem Memorial in Jerusalem and noticed that the sisters had been honored in 1964 uh, and had become righteous among the nations for what they did, helping people escape um, Nazi Germany and Austria during the the, the um, just before the Second World War, actually. Um, and um, I was intrigued. I mean, they were two... Uh, civil servant typists uh, from who, who lived in London with their parents. Uh, they were in their um, they were in their late twenties, early thirties, and um, they Im- they become opera fans um, and they befriend some of the greatest opera divas and conductors of the day. So this is in the late twenties and thirties, and uh, they befriend Hitler's favorite conductor, a man named Clemens Krauss who approaches them and asks them, would, would they please help him save some of the Jewish musicians and classical music scholars that he worked with in Austria um, and Germany? And they don't hesitate. Um, and even though they'd never met a Jew before, um, they, they embark on this body and soul. And, you know, it's really interesting. In the last couple of weeks, we've really talked a lot about Queen Elizabeth II and her commitment to service. Um, and uh, it just brings me back to, you know, the last five years that I've spent with Ida and Louise Cook and, and, and their unique sort of commitment to service. Again, they didn't hesitate, and uh, the reason I really wanted to do the book was to tell that story, because they were a footnote in history when I, when I discovered them, and I, I, I was really inspired by their ordinary, extraordinary heroism. What do you think motivated the Cook sisters to help these Jewish opera stars escape, especially when the risks were so high? Yeah, I think that, you know, they talk a lot about, again, it goes back to service and being brought up in a household where you did stuff for other people, um, you helped people, you didn't hesitate. Um, and, you know, it's the, the sheer ordinariness of their lives. I mean, this is what worked to their advantage to some extent. I mean, they they crossed borders into Austria and Germany on on their weekends, uh, ostensibly to go to the opera in places like Munich, Berlin, and Vienna, and then they crossed back um, at the end of the weekend. And when they when they came back, they came loaded with like the the jewels and the fur coats of the people that they were trying to help because they couldn't leave Germany or Austria with any with any valuables. So Ida and Louise smuggled the stuff out, and they smuggled it by wearing it on their cheap Woolworths and Marks and Spencer's dresses, thinking that, you know, set against their cheap clothes, that all of this finery would just, would just look fake, um, would just look like paste. So, and it worked again and again, and they, they were able to smuggle out, um, it, you know, important capital for people to rebuild their lives. 
because um, the jewelry and the fur coats were then sold when they got to um, when when they got to London. So yeah, they took they took risks, and I think they were just you know they were confronted with a terrible time in history. They they themselves quite didn't understand what was going on in Nazi Germany at the time, uh, or in uh, or in the you know the the countries that the Nazis had occupied, um, uh, such as Austria, and that you know when you Jews were slowly losing their rights um, and losing jobs, not being able to go to schools. Um, they had no idea this was going on until they went in 1936 on a trip to Frankfurt to help their first um, refugees and really, really saw the writing on the wall, if you will. So they just, you know, they were confronted with, okay, they had the ability to do something, and they they did what they could, and then they they conscripted their their friends into this. And so one friend uh, stopped smoking cigarettes and gave the, sh- the saved money to their relief cause so that they could buy stamps for um, the application forms that they needed to mail out to British officials. I mean, it became like this very grassroots, small uh, relief operation, and they saved 29 people. You mentioned him already, this conductor, Clemens Krauss. How was he involved with the Cook Sisters operations? Yes. Um, so Clemens Krauss was a very ambitious um, classical music conductor. Um, he rose to the ranks at a time when a lot of conductors were leaving um, classical music, the classical music world in the Third Reich because um, Adolf Hitler was really involved. I mean, the intrigue in the classical music world at that time is crazy. Hitler is involved in, in sort of telling conductors what they can and can't do. So they can't put on any music that's deemed degenerate by modern conductors. It has to be all of this old, glorious stuff that sort of elevates um, the Third Reich. So Krauss, who was never a Nazi, never joined the party, um, sees an opportunity for himself and starts to take on positions that other conductors don't want to do anymore, they leave. Um, and, you know, begins to make um, a name for himself. I mean, he is talented, uh, but he had an incredible amount of power in the Third Reich. He was put in charge, Hitler put him in charge of the Munich Opera, which was the real showpiece for culture in the Third Reich. It was like the most important opera house. He gave him a huge budget to put on, you know, these magnificent operas. And what he would do was he would ask the Cook sisters what opera they wanted to see on a particular weekend, and that became their excuse to travel into um, into these places, whether it was, I mean, he wasn't just in charge in Munich, he was also in charge in Berlin, and um, he was in charge of the Salzburg Festival. So he coordinated their coming into those places and giving them the ability during the day to interview the people that he knew needed to, to leave and had no other way out. I mean, they became so famous within the underground that um, letters would arrive at British consulates in all of these places addressed simply to Ida and Louise Cook. Um, that's how, you know, that's how far their, um, their notoriety uh, spread. Um, but what, Krauss was also one of the reasons I was really interested in doing the book, because he, he's a hero, too, a very complex one in the same way that 
Oscar Schindler, um, the industrialist who um, was a war profiteer and employed Jewish slave labor um, at his factories in Poland, uh, you know, allowing all these Jews to be saved, but at the same time, you know, he's making money. Um, So, I mean, Krauss is the same kind of hero that way. Um, And, you know, because he couldn't really write down what he was doing, He's, he sort of lost to history as well. After the, after the war, um, he goes through a denazification trial, even though he's never a Nazi. And his, um, his former peers in Austria sort of condemn him to being a collaborator and saying, well, you're not allowed to ever conduct again in Austria. And this is like a real blow to him. Um, and it's not like he could prove, oh, I, you know, I did all this work with the Cook sisters. It wasn't until the 1960s when Ida Cook was approached by Yad Vashem, uh, who wanted to give an award to, to both sisters, that she actually says in letters that I found um, in Jerusalem, where she says, you know, we would have not done any of this without um, Clemence Krause. He was really the mainspring of our work. So I really wanted to bring to light what he had done as well to, to, to help his people in conjunction with the sisters. And to sort of look at his character as not an easily defined one, a very complex man. So there were, like you said, when the sisters, when they're smuggling in plain sight, the jewels across the border, I'm sure that there were, you know, they would get questioned because the jewels, they were super extravagant. And what were some of the ways that the sisters, when they were smuggling these things, got away? Because I'm sure there were many close calls. There were close calls, and they had it all figured out. They they called it the Nervous British Spinster Act. And uh, whenever they were questioned too much, because sometimes their purses were full of, like, diamond jewelry and Swiss watches, they would just say, you know what, this is our jewelry. We like to go to the opera, but we don't feel safe leaving this with anybody in England. So, therefore, we're bringing it with us. So they did that. Um, and, they again... They were so, one of the reasons that they got away with this, they were office workers and they were so plain as to be forgettable. They used this to get across borders, to get into places that, you know, they weren't noticeable. And they they uh, relied on that ability to sort of blend in. I mean, had they been, and, and this is one of the reasons that they're sort of forgotten by history, because maybe had they been these glamorous women who... Um, you know, had 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 done other things in their lives. Um, maybe we would remember them today. Although Ida was very famous um, in her day, very famous sort of writer of light romance. She wrote 170 um, Harlequin type romances under a pseudonym, uh, and she used the money from the the first books that she wrote in the 30s to set up guarantees for the refugees who came into England. Uh, but, but they were forgettable and that, you know, Ida at one point, um, tries to write a treatment for a film about, um, their lives and about what they, uh, what they endured going in and out of Third Reich. And the, the, uh, the first sentence of the treatment is, this is, this is the story of two squares. So, I mean, just right there, she's undercutting, they're undercutting themselves. Um, and, you know, and, and it was being looked at, the treatment was being looked at by a Hollywood producer, the man who did South Pacific, Josh Logan. 
and and in the end, nothing got made because the treatment's kind of dull. Um, and I think Hollywood wanted a sort of romantic, you know, a romantic subplot that that wasn't right. there. Um, so, so in a way, they were they were forgotten, and and they were among the first women to be honored by Yad Vashem. Uh, at the same time that Schindler and uh, Raoul Wallenberg, another another hero of the Second World War, were honored, but you don't you know their names. You probably heard their names, but you've never heard of the Cook sisters until now. I hope you're listening to the author Isabel Vincent on Radio Free Hillsdale one hundred one point seven FM, where we're discussing her new book Overture of Hope: Two Sisters' Daring Plan That Saved Opera's Jewish Stars from the Third Reich. So as you said, the Cook sisters' activities largely flew under the radar and became a footnote um, in history. How is their story ever discovered? So Ida wrote, in 1950, Ida wrote a memoir called We Followed Our Stars, which was all about, you know, their adventures in the opera world. And part of the book detailed, to some extent, you know, saving people, uh, you know, the, what they did to save people. But there's no detail about the people they saved, and there's no detail about what happened to those people after they're saved. And, you know, it's sort of typical with a lot of Holocaust stories that you talk about the saving of the person, but and the story kind of ends there. Well, I wanted to know, well, what happened to these people once they landed in London? And a lot of them had terrible lives, Um uh, they endured poverty for the rest of their lives. Uh, they couldn't get back um, the stuff that had been stolen by the Nazis, the homes, the factories, the businesses, um, what have you. Others, you know, lost the ability to pursue um, their education. One woman had had her medical studies um, cut short. She was no longer able to go to medical school, and then she couldn't speak the language, and she got to the U.K., um, and then one man had a really tragic end. Uh, he was a, he was Krauss's deputy conductor and a very, very talented person. He was a Polish Jew. He's one of the last people that the cooks save uh, from Austria, like a month before the war starts in uh, September 1939. And he goes to England. He tries to make it as a deputy conductor. He joins an opera company um, as a coach for for opera singers, and he gets the chance to conduct an opera, um, a Mozart opera. Um, and at the last minute, the head of the company says, "No, we found somebody else. We don't think you're good enough." But so that day, the day he's supposed to conduct that opera, he gets up and he goes into his kitchen, dressed in his tuxedo, as if he's going to conduct the opera. And we know this because of uh, police records uh, that I found in London. So he goes into his kitchen, he turns on the gas, and he kills himself. It's reminiscent of how his mother died at Auschwitz in the gas chambers. And so this is, you know, a very sad story after, you know, a very happy occurrence about being, you know, he's saved and like two years later he can't. You know, he life doesn't seem worth living anymore. Obviously, he had you know other issues, but it it was and again all in the public record. The coroner's report detailed exactly what he was wearing, what he was going to do that, what he was supposed to have done that night, and how he was depressed about it. Um, so, so 
But your question was, how did their story become known? Largely as a result of Ida's um, 1950 memoir. Um, and then and then in 2008, and also the Yad Vashem honor in 1964, uh, they were on the front page of the New York Times when they when they received that uh, from the Israeli ambassador in, in London, and then in 2008 um, they were honored by the British government as heroes of the Holocaust. But by then they both of them had already died. So so in the last few years there was sort of a resurgence of what they had done. But um, in my research, I'm the one who found like all of their letters scattered scattered around the world and was able to piece together more of the history of, of, of what had taken place. After the war was over, were Ida and Louise able to contact or reunite with any of the people that they had saved? Yes. And in fact, they kept in touch with them. And they, as one, per, as one woman said in her letter to Yad Vashem, they never stopped helping them. So um, one uh, one woman who'd gone to England, one of their first refugees who'd gone to England and lost her job after the war, went back to live in a little flat that they rented in central London. She had no money, and she stayed there for five years. They helped her. In New York, another woman um, who they'd saved, they um, got her a job at Columbia University in the photo department through their opera connections in the city. They also found her a place to live. They never stopped helping people. After the war, they went back to Germany. They volunteered at displaced persons camps. There are letters that Ida writes to Rose Poncel, the great soprano in uh, Baltimore, saying that she and Louise were doing what they could to help, um, to help these um, uh, to help these people in displaced persons camps, setting up birthday parties and and helping with the tuberculosis problem. So they never stopped. Well, that is such an incredible story. Thank you so much, Ms. Vincent, for coming on here and for chronicling their story and making it public. Oh, I appreciate your interest. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Isabel Vincent on Radio Free Hillsdale discussing her new book entitled. Overture of Hope, Two Sisters' Daring Plan That Saved Opera's Jewish Stars from the Third Reich. This is Therese Boudreaux. Thank you so much for listening on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.